Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone DeRoche, former senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, a game developer, <laughs> <laughs> secret project doer, secret project. Christina Ward, a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. And don't worry, those aren't the only names and job titles you're going to hear tonight, because <laughs> we have a very exciting show for you, uh, which is brought to you by Pingdom. Uh, we're doing a double interview episode, baby. It's going to be fast, it's going to be juicy, and it's going to be interesting, and it's going to feature two incredible women uh, that we have so much to learn from. So without further, further ado, let us get into our very first topic. All right, our very first guest today is a very special one, and that person is Adrian Lawrence. Adrian is an award-winning on-air commentator and gender equity advocate. Um, and one of the ways that she's recently advocated for gender equity is by writing and publishing a book called Staying in the Game, the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment. Uh, that came out this spring from Penguin Random House, and it is a practical survival guide for what to do if you are being harassed in the workplace. So that's what we are here to talk about today. Thank you, Adrian, so much and welcome to the show. All right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I just wanted to start off and say this is this is a fantastic book. And I feel like a lot of books written in this space tend to be a lot more academic or theoretical. And what what I really loved about your book, Adrian, is it 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 is a how-to guide you did impeccable research. And I just, I think if I knew a young woman that was entering the workplace for the first time, this would be something I would want her to read. Uh, so I, I hope we can say this on the air and I hope our network doesn't get us in trouble for this, but can you tell our listeners what is a harassal? <laughs> so, and I thank you so much for the kind words about the book. Cause I really wanted to be able to write it in a way that is relatable, understandable, but also informative. And it can be such a heavy subject. So, of course, mm -hmm. I incorporated in terms like harassal there. Uh, you know, those are the people that harass you. These are the mischievous problem makers who make your life their problem because they're insecure. And thus, they're looking to make you play small by trying to tear you down, whether it's come-ons or put-downs. And that is a harassal. Can you tell us a little bit about the impetus for the book and um, however much you want to get into your personal story is fine, but I guess maybe why you wrote the book and, and what you hope people get out of it? Well, so I was in my situation at ESPN where there was sexual harassment and I had been sexually harassed at jobs before. No big deal. But now there was so much on the line. And the problem is it's because, you know, hey, if we're in a bar and you come on to me or you try to flex on me, I, I'll handle you. Right. I can get that handle. I've got friends. I've got myself. But when it comes to a workplace, when they say you have to follow these procedures, when you can't check a colleague mm -hmm. who gets inappropriate because they have more power than you, and they're essentially holding their power over your head, that's a very, very intimidating and scary place to be. And when I looked for answers, the only ones I got in terms of books are memoirs of people's personal experiences and legal reference manuals. The reality is that nearly all sexual harassment situations over 99% never invoke the law. They never become a legal issue. And so I didn't need a legal reference manual. And I damn sure didn't need to hear someone's memoir about their experiences. I needed to know what the science says works in these situations. And so 
I went ahead and I wrote that book that I could not find anywhere. And I, I think that's exactly what you did. Uh, one of the things you talk about in this book, just pragmatic how-to, was documenting things as they happen. Um, I will tell you, I know four separate women that have successfully sued their employer in the tech industry. And the reason all four of those had um, satisfactory outcomes was because they followed what you talked about, which is documenting bad behavior. Can you tell our listeners a bit about that, what they need to be thinking about, what they might want to write down? What what did they need to know? The first thing that people really, really need to disabuse themselves of is this thought that it's just a one-off. It's only going to happen once. Sexual harassment is a behavior. It's the way someone interacts with the world around them. Of course, it depends on who you are, but it's never going to just happen once. You have to document it because it ultimately you're in an environment that is hostile in some ways. And that hostility will be used against you at some point in time. And if you have a very scratchy memory recollection or no documentation whatsoever, notes to back up the events that occurred, not only are you not really going to remember them, but also, too, you're not going to have any support. And it's just a matter of a he said, she said situation. And as we've seen with the Me Too movement, just about anything that ever happens in the public sphere when someone calls another person out, the person with the more social status gets to essentially be the determinants um, factor mm-hmm. in terms of whose side we're going to believe. So you have to be prepared, have it documented, document, document. So another thing you talk about in this book is the the psychological effects of having this happen to you. And for me, it wasn't sexual harassment, but it was Gamergate. Like I had a traumatic experience and it certainly bled over into other areas of my life, certainly including my marriage and my, you know, my performance at work. Can Can you tell people a little bit about what they can expect to happen or what is the severity that is at play when you're sexually harassed at work? Um, what a lot of people don't fully appreciate is the psychological trauma. And it's not just from being harassed. It's also from being a bystander because, you know, watching someone uh, essentially be mistreated and feeling like you can't do anything about it actually has a significant impact on your psyche. And uh, in part, uh, I, as I explained in the book, one of the reasons why is bystanders often has fe- have fear that it's going to happen to them. And then there's an empathy placement in it. But essentially, you should care about this, whether you are harassed or the bystander. Uh, And the three most common forms of psychological trauma that we have emerged from sexual harassment is depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and anxiety. And, you know, I I got dealt all of those with um, chronic PTSD, and it flips your world upside down. uh, Because I think I didn't think it would be that big of a deal because it was just a job I lost. I've had plenty of jobs Uh, in terms of ESPN. Uh, But as it turns out, no, it's so much more, especially because we as Americans put so much emphasis on our careers. Uh, And also when you're wronged and you do the right thing, it feels very, very oppressive and it can mess with you in ways that you will never, ever anticipate, but you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, I I so appreciate that because I I think a lot of time we can talk about what women can do, quote unquote, right. And, you know, give, as you said, when you were looking this up, like the drastic solution of like legal measures, when often there's so many things that happen before that, that you want to deal with correctly so that if it does come to legal measures, you 
can be prepared. And I, I appreciate so much that you tackled this in such a like scientific way, as you said. Um, yeah, to just to kind of ad- address it realistically and like from the ground up, you know? Absolutely. Because there's what they love. HR departments and employers love to tout their anti-discrimination policies <laughs> and saying, oh, we're going to stand up for you and we don't allow this. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, get yeah. out of here. Are you kidding? And I'm one of those fools who thought, of course, they're going to enforce their rules because <sighs> it's too costly for them not to. But people have to remember, not everything is about business. And when it comes to your oppression and keeping the gender hierarchy and the racial hierarchy in place, businesses will easily take the latter as opposed to saving themselves money by actually doing the right thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to touch on um, the saving money aspect uh, in a second. But first, you know, what you're talking about and like kind of like the collateral damage that people can feel when they go through this and the feeling about how much your job means to you, um, that's the reason why a lot of women don't do anything about what's happening to them because they fear, I think, not just the retaliation with their job, but that they won't be able to find another job. What what can you say to that, I guess, to, to the fear that if you do go forward, if you do, you know, either go through HR or if you even go through the legal process about the fear that by doing that, you've now been branded in such a way that you're you're always going to be tainted by that. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's a really good observation and point. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it doesn't exist. There were doors that closed to me, uh, even though everyone knew what I was saying was the truth. Um, you know, there's a really good quote, and forgive me, I cannot remember the author, but it's this idea that we're supposed to keep the patriarchy secrets. And by virtue of the fact that I did not, I'm on the out. And there's an implicit punishment that goes with that, um, even if people know that you did the right thing. And so I, you know, in staying in the game, I make sure that anyone who reads it knows what the potential ramifications could look like and uh, what is at risk and on the line. Uh, I also talk a lot about how to reinvent yourself and how to improve your circumstances and situation and find another job and whether to bring it up. Um, after, in the aftermath. And I think that those things are important, but everybody's situation is very different. Uh, But, you know, as far as I go and my thoughts, hell no, you stand up. Respect is a non-negotiable. So if you're going to take this job away, I'll find another. Uh, But I also tend to have an abundance mentality and I know my worth. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to stand up because I can't be in an environment where I am under someone's thumb or I'm oppressed or mistreated and, and, for me to perform, uh, I don't have a problem standing up for myself and you cannot pay me enough not to do so. And I really would love it if more people had that mentality uh, so that these institutions stop holding us all back. Hell yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, one of the things, like there's obviously the moral case for not you know, making women miserable at work. But one of the things I really found surprising in your book is there's actually a a business case for uh, having a strong anti-sexual harassment, not policy, but outcome. So this this really surprised me that uh, according to research that you cite, uh, every single uh, person they sexually harassed at work loses that business $27,800, which is a staggering amount. Can you, can you talk a little bit more, like how does that loss happen? 
Oh, it's absolutely, it's wild to me uh, that these businesses continue to allow this to happen, given how much they lose. And they lose a lot from lost productivity. Being in an environment where you're, imp- where you're oppressed or even just a bystander watching someone be mistreated. I can't focus. Uh, how, how, you know, sharp am I going to be at my job? On top of that, uh, also people who are harassed tend to have a high turnover rate. So if you are in a very toxic environment, that starts to play on your mental health and psyche and you start looking for other options and opportunities elsewhere. And so they usually leave within two years of being harassed. And uh, that's money from that you've essentially invested in a worker and being able to have them understand your processes, your systems, and you're going to have to train someone else. And also, too, a lot of companies will keep on people who are harassholes but high performers. Mm -hmm. And as the Harvard Business Review explains, which I broke down in my book, that's not worth it in terms of the revenue that that individual may generate uh, compared to essentially all the people that you lose because of that harasshole. And it would be great if companies actually just back their words and how much more they could gain in profit. It's, so it's, it's mesmerizing to me that these companies would prefer to uphold the patriarchy and make sure you remain in your place than to put more profits in, in their own pocket. Yeah, definitely. That is so frustrating. Sorry, I'm just reacting. Just thinking about especially how often it is probably true that those women who might be being harassed might be lower necessarily in the company and in a more vulnerable position and never being allowed to grow into being the quote-unquote star of the workplace and those high-value, outwardly high-value positions. Yeah, all that lost potential. And um, the problem is, in part, not just the patriarchy wanting to maybe put women back in the home, uh, but also the reality that a lot of these companies still don't fully value the work of a woman, which is why, in part, they pay us less. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if people really saw the value and really just got rid of their isms. We could be so much more of a productive society. It would be awesome. <laughs> yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Adrian, where can people find you online and where can they buy your book? So my book, Staying in a Game, The Playbook for Beating Workplace Sexual Harassment, is available everywhere books are sold. And I can be located on Twitter at Adrian Law. And then I'm on Instagram under Adrian Lawrence. All good things. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom from Solar Winds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, people are going to bounce if your website is loading too slow. It's miserable. You know when your internet's going all wonky and websites are going slow and it makes you really angry? Imagine that, but it's not your internet's fault. It's your website. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitor's experience so that you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, platform they use. There are so many ways that people can get on your site and all of them can break. So you want to identify (laughs) how visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to the people that matter most. 
Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, which we love. Meanwhile, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That's three and a zero right after it, 30. Thank you so much, Pingdom, for, from SolarWinds, for your support of the show and Relay FM. That is, again, pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial and then 30% off when you sign up. All right, I'd like to welcome to the show Olivia Solon, editor at NBC News. And Olivia recently published a very important story about moderation at Instagram and Facebook. And essentially, you talked to researchers who were studying an automatic, an automated moderation system for Instagram, that, and they found that it was removing content from Black creators more often than it was removing content from white creators and basically unfairly enforcing its moderation. Can you tell us a little bit about this story and how it came about? Yeah. So obviously you've probably heard there's been quite a lot of internal kind of turmoil at Facebook um, since the company failed to take action on Trump's post where he said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts um, (laughs) during the George Floyd protests. And so, uh, you know, I was talking to some sources who um, work at Facebook and they have been telling me that they've been doing this research showing racial bias and issues um, with uh, hate speech for years. And they've been trying to present this to management over and over again. And every time they get shut down, slow walked um, and even told they can't share their work or, um, or, or even continue to research issues of race on, on the platforms. Um, but yeah, in this case, it was um, an Instagram um, automated uh, account disabling tool that was being trialed. And um, yeah, they found that um, black users or at least users inferred to be black, um, be careful with the language, but they, that it was inferred mm. to be black, were, be, were having their accounts disabled at a rate of 50% higher than users inferred to be white. And when they presented this research to their superiors, they were told in no uncertain terms, to cease and desist. And it wasn't, this is flawed. They were told, you know, this is too inflammatory. And they got shut down and told not to share it with their colleagues. Amazing. And now Facebook is saying, oh, it's actually because the research was flawed. Like they, they had spoken out and kind of contradicted what the researchers told you. Right. I, I, but I just to clarify, I spoke to employees. I didn't specify that I spoke to researchers, gotcha, but um, thank you. it was definitely, it was about the research um, for sure. Um, so Facebook's response to, um, to the story when I went to them was that they were concerned. The reason why they shut down the research was because they were concerned about uh, methodological flaws and potential um, unethical approaches to this research that's absolutely not what the people who did the work were told, um, according to my sources. And um, they were told, as as far as I understand it, that you know they had to shut down the research and not share it with anyone um, at all. And they saw that as a complete cease and desist. 
And um, and I think one of the things that they keep on flagging was the fact that the researchers had to rely on this variable that was called ethnic affinity, which was used by Facebook's advertising team to target advertising to people that they've inferred to be African-American, um, Hispanic, or Asian-American. This is quite a crude proxy for race, but it's certainly one that the company is happy to use for advertising purposes. And it's one that um, they're not allowed to use now after an expose that um, for targeting housing, jobs, and credit advertising for legal reasons. So they clearly see... Right, that that, that was the ProPublica uh, expose, right. right? Yeah, exactly. And so obviously it's illegal to um, target people for those uh, or exclude people on the basis of race for those kinds of ads. So clearly fa- at Facebook, which now won't allow you to target those kinds of ads, recognizes that it's a, pr- you know, it's a proxy for race. Um, and the researchers, you know, had tried to do actual research where they were going to uh, actual surveys where they were asking people to um, disclose their racial identity because Facebook doesn't collect it. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were told they couldn't do that. So this was kind of the only uh, data point that they could use to start to understand that there might be problems of racial bias on the platform. And that's what they did. Right. And and so Mm -hmm. to be clear, like what this was looking at, or I guess what what the research was finding um, was that the auto moderation tools, were they were they targeting users um, uh, more proportionately or was it based on like the the language that users were were using? I guess that's what I'm trying to understand, like for things where they would, you know, uh, ban accounts or suspend accounts. Was it, you know, based on on the language that was happening in those accounts or was it um, just, uh, I guess, was the algorithm uh, strictly um, weighing more heavily, like regardless of, of language, um, towards users who they inferred to be a certain race? Oh, right. So it was related to um, taking down, yeah, disabling accounts for policy violations, but okay. the um, algorithm appeared to be, or the classifier appeared to be over-indexing on um, black vernacular English. And apparently this has been an ongoing yeah. problem for a while. And um, and they all and the other aspect is that Facebook across the board, it's sort of way that it can treats hate speech is it doesn't make any um, doesn't take into account any people's history of oppression. It doesn't or, take power um, dynamics, right? Exactly. So it will treat men, uh, white people are trash in the same way it would treat the phrase black people are scum. Even though those two fra- those two phrases have very different um, impacts, and one target um, is has obviously a long history of racism and oppression, and this you know the the idea that people might find the latter statement more offensive is is even supported by Facebook's own internal data, which again has not really been taken into account in the way that it applies its hate speech policies. It feels like a really wide pattern of Facebook. uh, See no evil, hear no evil. Like we cover a story earlier this year. It was a very similar pattern. People trying to get a meeting with Zuckerberg. I believe it was about uh, election interference. And he's, oh, it was about the uh, hate speech on the platform. He's like, yeah, you know what? This is the last meeting I ever want to hear about this. And (laughs) it, it very subtly showed the researchers the doors. They actually had researchers that had been brought to the company to frankly help Facebook's credibility 
mm-hmm. end up leaving because they realized they wanted them there for their name, but not to make any decisions. And when I, when I read your reporting, I, I couldn't help but feel it was a very similar situation. Absolutely. And that initially the story was going to be a bit more broad reaching because I've heard this happening in other fields as well. But the racial biasing was the the thing that I was hearing the loudest from the people I was speaking to. And it was certainly a kind of, uh, you know, a hot button topic at a time when there's a lot of sort of performative um, support for Black Lives Matter. I think there was, you know, there are people within the company who feel like they're not necessarily practicing what they preach. Yeah, let me let me ask you this question, and and if you don't have an answer, or if your sources haven't given you anything, or you don't want to share, that's fair. But you talked about kind of the inner circle of the group, uh, you know, including Nick Clegg, who runs uh, policy, and Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg, and and these people who were kind of involved in in making these decisions. And there was a, a report in in the Wall Street Journal earlier this year about um, Chris Cox, who was the former uh, chief product officer of Facebook and had left reportedly over some of his concerns about how the company was handling things. He has since returned to the company. Uh, do you have any um, uh, insight or, or, or any feeling about whether that will potentially impact Facebook for the better or or not? I honestly don't know. And actually, that, I mean, that's a good idea for me to start asking people that question, um, probably an oversight on my part. Um, but I know that he, yeah, it's, I think he's widely considered someone to be supportive of some of the more progressive policies at Facebook. Um, and perhaps, you know, he's being brought in to appease some of the anger around um, what is perceived to be a kind of a pandering to um, Republican politicians at the moment, um, at least in part because of Joel Kaplan's influence. Um, but frankly, I, I mean, I don't know. That's sort of me speculating. Mm-hmm. I want to just briefly touch on, uh, so uh, literally two days before you published your story, the Wall Street Journal published, uh, when you had, you know, of course, asked for comment, we're waiting for Facebook to get back to you. The Wall Street Journal published a story about how Facebook had created teams to study racial bias. Do you want to just talk about that situation and I I guess your perspective on what Facebook is trying to do here? Yeah, I mean, my immediate reaction, given that I had gone to Facebook and actually had been talking to Facebook in some capacity for a couple of weeks about the story. I mean, they didn't know they didn't have the full no surprises point by point list of allegations by a a few weeks before. But they certainly were aware of it. And, you know, people I tried to contact had definitely passed on my um, emails to uh, to the company, to the corporate comms team. Um, so seeing a story the day after I've gone to them with a list of reasons why Facebook has been ignoring, um, all the research on, on problems of racial bias, and then suddenly seeing them, you know, launch this, these two groups Mm -hmm. to address (laughs) racial bias seemed like highly suspicious timing. And, and, you know, companies like Facebook have a history of trying to preempt stories they're worried about. And, um, I've been on the kind of receiving end of that before, but the journal reporters are very good, and I, I, I you know, I met, I know them, and I think that they're, they're brilliant at what they do. And so I, I messaged them and said, "Hey, where did this story come from? Did it, you know, like, did they bring this to you? Did you, did it get leaked to you?" And they said they got it from their sources independently. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is the kind of story that they could have that could have been strategically leaked by someone who 
kind of plays the game pretty well, but I don't, I, I don't want to um, cast aspersions, but it just seemed like very suspicious. None of the people I, I have talked to who are involved in any of this work um, knew that this was coming at least not on the Facebook side. I think on the Instagram side, they've been talking about it for a while. Adam Masseri has been over the last few weeks talking about this issue quite a bit, but I don't know. I personally was pretty suspicious about the timing. That's the situation. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have a, I, I, I want to give, rep- I want to give listeners just a little bit of background on you and the work that you're doing. Like you, you started, a beat at NBC to very specifically and aggressively cover these exact kinds of stories, like getting, getting sources within tech companies. And by the way, I just want to tell our listeners, if you're out there and your company's doing some wrong, you can trust Olivia. I've worked with Olivia. (laughs) She's really good. You should reach out to her. But um, so that kind of being the background for it, I I've got to know if you can tell us like what kind of person, comes to you at Facebook? Is it someone that is disturbed by the direction of the company? Is it someone that just believes in the mission and wants to see them making better decisions? Like, what what is the mindset of some of the people you talk to there? I think it's a mixed bag. I mean, there's clearly at the moment, there is a lot more leaking from Facebook than historically has happened. Um, and th- I think that's in, in part because, um, well, in part because of of the lockdown, actually, and in part because of some of the decisions that management has been making that seem to kind of make drinking the Kool Aid more challenging for a lot of people, particularly kind of in and around the Bay Area. I think um, a, you know, place that's known for progressive politics. Um, and a place, you know, when Facebook, a few, you know, when Trump first had the Muslim ban, uh, Facebook took some pretty, um, pretty public stances against that. And yet, you know, more recently, when there's been um, the executive order that has targeted visa holders, H1B visa holders, they've been, they were very um, quiet on that issue. So anyway, I think mm-hmm. there's, there's been a sort of pivot of Facebook's politics as often happens towards the current administration. Um, and I think there is a big fear of regulation. And I think that has created some um, more strife internally than perhaps there's previously been, or people more likely to break ranks. And so we do get people who are pissed off. We get people um, who just want the company to be doing better. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't really, I, yeah, obviously I don't want to say too much no about specifics. the kind of, Also, I mean, recently people who've left or just joined, um, who've, you know, people I've spoken to for previous stories at other companies who now have stuff to say about their new company. Oh, okay. Thank you so much, Olivia. This is a very valuable work that you're doing, especially now. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking about it. Where can people find you online if they want to read your work? Uh, NBCnews.com, although I think our site search is terrible, <laughs> or on Twitter <laughs> at, um, at Olivia Solon, all one word. Big solidarity for working for a site that you like that has terrible search. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one. All right, great. Olivia, thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you. You too.
It's time for dessert. <laughs> this is the craziest episode, y'all. It's like it really wow. is. Yeah. I feel like I've not even talked to you. <laughs> I know. I haven't. <laughs> Last week, you guys uh <laughs> forced me to per- to obtain to own. You bought them for me. You forced me to own AirPods. Uh-huh. Um, and now I believe they arrived on Wednesday extremely promptly, as promised. And I have been using them now for a week, and I'm mad. <laughs> why, t- why, why, mad? Why, why are you mad? Because because I was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're okay. So first of all, I don't know if you guys know this, but when you have wireless headphones. You are so free. Let me tell you. I know it's 2020. <laughs> but maybe there are some people out there who, like me, had not experienced wireless headphones yet. I'm freaking, I'm on a Zoom meeting on my MacBook, and I'm walking to the kitchen to pour myself a cup of water or coffee, and I'm leaving my laptop in the bedroom. <laughs> and it it doesn't matter. And then I'm like, oh, I'm done with work. Let me just switch my Bluetooth connection and change my headphones from being connected to my laptop to being connected to my phone because I live in an ecosystem. Um, And then suddenly I'm listening to podcasts on my phone and I'm leaving the phone charging or I'm leaving it in my bedroom while I'm doing chores and I don't have to carry it. I don't have to wear an apron anymore. And although I love the apron... I will probably continue to wear it because sometimes I do want to carry stuff around in its little pockets. Um, it's so freeing. It's literally, like, it's such a simple thing, but it was so freeing. Um, so, so far I have really enjoyed the freedom that the headphones given me. I found pairing them to be super duper easy. Um, I have, unlike, I, I have actually, unfortunately, so here are the, the cons. Okay. Occasionally they have fallen out of my ears. Okay. On the very first day when I was using them, <laughs> I did drop one of them in a bowl of oatmeal. Okay. Um, <laughs> Could it have been you were spinning around so fast from the, like, you know, like uh, Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music in a field enjoying your freedom that they just spun out with centrifugal force? It's a very real possibility. I was I was doing that exact thing where While I was oatmeal. spinning, mm-hmm. eating oatmeal. I was on a Zoom call and I was just kind of like moving around my house and I was I, I was in the motion of sitting down on the couch and something about that motion, of course, as I was literally on the call telling my coworker, I just got these new AirPods and I love them so much. One of them <laughs> fell into my oatmeal. It was great. I mean, this honestly this probably happened because of who I am as a person. And because it was too perfect a moment for that not to happen to me at that time <laughs> while being on camera with my coworker. Um, so I, I've definitely experienced that. However, like I've also worn them. I went out for a really long walk on Saturday because it was Pokemon Go Fest. I wore them the whole time um, and they were fine that whole time. Kept a charge. That was wonderful. I carried the little case with me in my fanny pack because I have that now too. You know, you can't wear your apron outside the house. Um, so you sometimes need to carry a fanny pack. That's what the Gucci fanny pack is for. That's what the Gucci fanny pack is for. Um, do you want to actually, can you send me that next? No. No. Okay. No, well, that, it was that, worth I'm your sorry. I, You're on my, your my, Yeah, no, I got mine in Dubai and uh, <laughs> I love you, Simone, but no. I got mine in Dubai. 
I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was cheaper there. I believe you. Um, And the, the other, so, and this I think is because I have just kind of been wearing them constantly. I have noticed that when I'm wearing them for many, many hours at a time, my ears do start to like feel a little sensitive. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I think that's probably cause I'm just like sitting there gorging on them because I am so unused to this freedom. Whereas usually like I I'm using them for calls on my nine hour work day instead of putting on my over ear headphones. Cause right. it's just so easy. Because it's so convenient. How's your battery yeah. life been since, since you've been like, how often do you have to take them out to, to charge? Cause they charge pretty quick, but how's your battery life been in terms of how often do you have to take them out? Like during your nine hour day? During the day, I would usually take them I, – I, I have gone into situations where I've noticed, oh, I'm low on charge. I better take them out now and start charging them now. In general, um, I will be – like between meetings, I've had occasions now to just like take them out and pop them in the case because I, I don't leave them sitting around. I'll always put them in the case. Sure. And either the case is plugged in or my phone is plugged in. So I've never run out of charge on the case. It's always kind of been ready for me. Um, so for me right now, working from home and always having access to power, the charge has been really good. And when I was on my very, very long walk on Saturday, the charge completely like got me through that. Like my phone was <laughs> getting low by the time nice. I got back. The headphones were fine. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So so for, for listeners, if you have the original AirPods, the difference between the AirPods 1s and the AirPods 2, which Simone has, uh, A, there are two different models. They're the model that comes with the wireless charging case, um, which Simone doesn't have. And then there's the other model that is just the normal case. But the difference between the 1s and the 2s is that the 2s have an H1 chip instead of a W1 chip. Really, there's nothing that's demonstrably different except that the chip is more power efficient, so you get longer talk time. So for what your use case is specifically, Simone, like it's it'll give you better battery life, which which mm-hmm. is um, which is really good for these pandemic times because yeah, like you, I I'm somebody who you know, and I've had wireless headphones for years, but the convenience of just having them in, especially when you're on calls all the time, is like so convenient you just never want to take them out like they're just you know it's yeah i really don't (laughs) but it has the downside too well i guess it's less of one in the pandemic but sometimes it's like when you're wearing them even if you're not listening to anything you're kind of signaling to people like i'm unavailable which means you can't meet people which is good and bad depending on i mean i guess so i mean you're you're not wrong about that there's but Although, A, I will say, really useful on the subway, like loved them mm-hmm. on the subway because I don't want to talk to people on the subway. And like that's what your over-the-ear headphones are for um, anyway. And and B, yeah, like who's meeting anyone right now? <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's definitely – I know there have been pieces written about the etiquette of wireless headphones. And I did immediately notice like generally before when with the wired headphones, I would go into a store and take the headphones out uh, upon checkout and kind of just like drape them across my neck. Sure. Um, and with these, I, it's a little bit harder because I don't want to just like take out, like have them free floating right, if I'm not you carrying the case around. on me. Yeah. yeah no. And it, it's so much easier, I, I think, to just leave them in. And obviously I'm like turning the music off so that I'm not distracted right. while talking to uh, to customer service. But 
I did notice myself immediately being like, I'll just leave these in. This is fine. Yeah, 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 totally. Now, now, do you have you um, customized them so that when you double tap, they do different things? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, let me, let's see. I did play pause on the right one and then skip track on the left one. I will say that is another area where I wish those things are all very important, but I wish I could have that plus volume on the headphones. Yes. Yeah, so so the right the the way you could get around volume and it's not the best, but there are two things you can do. One, you can invoke Siri and tell Siri to raise the volume, and that will actually work. Um, two, and and the the new ones, you know, work like hands free Siri, so you don't have to have the you know don't have to press the button because your phone does that or whatever. And two, if you have an Apple Watch, this is actually one area where the Apple Watch is really useful in this case because whether your um, um, AirPods are, are paired to your watch or your phone, you can turn the dial on your Apple Watch and raise the volume. But you're right because that I, I agree with you. And in, in my original review, and my original review was before you could even customize like the sides. Really, oh, wow. like you, they didn't even have that option. Um, they, they, you know, you had to do the same thing for both both things and like you basically had to choose between do you want Siri enabled or do you want to be able to play pause when you double tap like you didn't have the option to have mm-hmm. multiple choices um and the lack of volume control was one of those things that you know uh bothered me um and uh that is a downside but the Apple Watch for people who have that and I need to send you one of mine that's a good reminder to me because I've been promising you this for forever so I need to send you one of my Apple Aww. watches uh and when you get my Apple Watch, then you'll be able to control the volume that way, which it's still kind It'll of annoying too that, powerful. That, 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 that the AirPods doesn't have it, but it's it's still better. I find there's there's this weird bit of lag, if that makes sense, when you're controlling it from Apple Watch. Like, it's not bad. It's just this half a second, and it just, it's why I always reach for my phone instead. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably true. For me, if it's just about a volume thing, though, like, I don't care. Um, like that's, that's usually going to be more convenient. Like if my phone is in another pocket or my purse or something, but yeah, there, mm-hmm. there, there does tend to probably be somewhat of a lag. Although at this point I've been using the AirPod pros for so long, like, um, well actually true story, I've misplaced my AirPods pros. And so I've had to use my AirPod twos and it's been like a weird adjustment to go back to like remembering like what they were like before. Um, so I have to find my AirPods pros, but, uh, also got my mom a pair of AirPods Pros for her birthday, and she got them today because they were on sale um, on Monday, and I ordered them, and she already I'm got so them. I'm so excited for her. Yeah, she's very excited because hers that she's been using for like two and a half years, um, she was like, you know, she's like, yeah, because I got yeah, two and a half years. I got them Christmas 2007. Yeah, so she is, uh, she was due for, uh, for, for a new pair, but... I'm I'm glad I'm I'm sad that you are mad that we were right, but I'm glad that you're right. <laughs> you actually you just reminded me. Is there anything that I can add to Control Center that will like let me control the headphones from there? Or do I always have to go into settings if I want to like switch the pairing from my computer to my phone and like change um what headphone does what or what earphone does what, et cetera? Yeah, you have to go in you have to go into the um whatchamacallit into the settings for that. But that's a great, that would be a really good control center thing if you were just able to to switch the pairing because I'm, I'm with you on that. There is also a Mac app. There's one called Tooth Fairy and there is another one uh, that I can't think of the name of right now that make the pairing process um, 
easier than having to go through the Bluetooth menu. It makes it just a little bit more seamless. And I'll, I'll find yes. the links to those and get them to you because there are a couple of different utilities that make that uh, a little bit better too. Uh, so I'm, I'm well, thank you very much. I'm very glad that you're now part of the the club. Um, <laughs> it's an elite club. It is an elite yeah. club. There, there are hundreds of millions of us, but it's very elite. Ha- <laughs> big question, though. Have you listened to the new Taylor Swift album with the AirPods? I was just doing that earlier today while I was cooking dinner, and it was so nice. Oh, my God. It, it, talk about Ultimate Rocket I felt Bowl. like you. Yeah. So, so I have not listened to this. I need to know how is the album. Uh, like, well, let's talk it's about the really, rocket rules. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's transition into what we're doing this week because I think that that would help with this okay. topic. <laughs> what a great dessert that was! Hey, Christina, what are you doing this week? Okay. Well, I'm listening to Taylor Swift over and over again, like Infinity. Uh, oh, is the album good, Christina? Tell us about the album. It's amazing. No, I mean genuinely. Like it's I think it. it's gotten mixed reviews online. I haven't listened to it. No, I think it's I have not sure. seen a single mixed review. I think it Me is either. very good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say okay. the only the only person who gave it an in any way mixed review was um, John um, Karamenka from the New York Times, and he didn't give it a bad review. He just you know didn't give it like a glowing review where most people have. It's it's not typical Taylor Swift in terms of like the last three albums of Taylor Swift. It is. It's done with in collaboration with uh, uh, the bassist uh, uh, from the National and uh, or, or guitar guitar player from the National. He produced it, and it is very much like an indie rock album. And I'm I'm here for it. Like there aren't banger pop tracks, and so if that's what you're into, you're gonna be disappointed. But if you really like beautiful, like you know, like soulful, like good lyric music that has amazing storytelling and is just so pretty and has, if you like Bon Iver, if you like The National, if you like um, Sufjan Stevens, if you like that type of thing, this is definitely a game. If, if Red is your favorite Taylor Swift album, you're going to like this <laughs> album. It's so interesting because I, I first listened to, I think, Cardigan because it was linked in some article or something. Yeah, that's the single. And on my f- Yes, that's why. Ha ha ha. On my first listen to it, I was kind of underwhelmed by the lyrics. I thought it was really pretty. And then tonight while I was listening to it on, on my new AirPods, well, I was just, you know, came on the album while I was doing chores and stuff. And somehow on that second listen, like the melody just got me and coming mm-hmm. back to it was just like so... It, it felt very welcoming and very warm, and it was like a lovely experience to be in in that moment. Um, and that that's how I felt about the. I've, I've listened to maybe two thirds of it now, and it, it it's just a very like lovely lyrical. Um, I think beautiful album. Yeah, it's like it's it. it's sweater weather. Like it's like the ultimate like oh, fall. It is such sweater weather. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like it's like the ultimate fall album. And yeah, um, so I'm not sure how much you'll like it, Bree, because I don't know how much you like like indie rock. But it's, it's I, I don't. Okay, I don't. so <laughs> well, bad news. <laughs> bad news. Sorry. But, yeah. But, but, but track four. I love all the Taylor Swift remixes. Like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Track There's four no with, quote unquote bangers. No, there but. aren't. But, but, but what's interesting is that I bet they could be remixed into bangers. Like that's the thing. Like some of these are very clearly like big pop songs that just aren't mm-hmm. produced that way, which I think is interesting. So that's what I'm doing this week. I'm I'm listening to Taylor Swift over and over again. You can also hear me if you want to um, uh, uh, 
listen to me talk more about other things. I was on the talk show this week Yay. with John Gruber. Yeah. Yay. And uh, which was very nice. And so uh, we didn't have much to talk about. So I, the podcast is only two and a half hours long. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so you, you can check that out. And uh, thanks, John, for having me you on. You talked to the, the two and a half hours? Really? Yeah. That's nuts. I know. Wow. I know. I'm so glad we don't do that, you guys. <laughs> I am going to include a link to that in the show notes because I have just pulled one up. Um, so if you are not subscribed to that podcast, so you're like, what is that? Oh, who is John Kruger? <laughs> um, then you can just go ahead and find that in the show notes. I was It'll be proud when you. you interviewed Tim Cook, but I think this is bigger. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> Brianna, what are you doing this week? Oh my God. Y'all, I've gone from like, ah, it's a great day. I'm going to wake up and level my level, go level my astrologian in Final Fantasy 14 and maybe just take the dogs for a lovely walk. I've gone from that to to stupidly accepting a job (laughs) before (laughs) the election. And there are 98 days before the election. So I'm working 16 hour days. I was up at 6 a.m. this morning. I haven't stopped yet. Oh, so no. I'm working and it sucks. I'm doing bank accounts and hiring people. I've hired four people today. So it's crazy. Brianna, call me crazy. I'm not shocked that you have taken on an ambitious job. Brianna, ambitious job woo is what I That's call me. you. That's me. I've never I've never been uh, shy from picking away like, from huh, my Time dumb to relax. Fight. How can I yeah. pivot from this? <laughs> 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 what, what can I do with all this free time I have? <laughs> I can't wait till we can talk more about it. Um, Oh, it's exciting. And you'll let me know when that is. Someday. Not this week. (laughs) Not this week. Hey, uh, what am I doing this week? I am continuing my work on speedrun on Quibi. (gasps) Um, Ooh, you excited about that? Well, I mean, because I am about speed run, but it's the fugitive show with Jack Bowers about to come on, and they rename CTU like CTB. <laughs> it's just it's such a blatant ripoff. Oh so I'm excited God. for that, and I realized it's going to be on in a few days. But also, your show is great. Quibi got ten Emmy nominations, and my show wasn't one of them, I'm which sorry. I do understand because we had like 50 episodes that were a completely different format and now we're in a totally different format. So, you know, things change. The Emmys, they did they they don't recognize the new format and how amazing it is. Um, but maybe next year. Well, did um, you submit? No. <laughs> that, that could affect it. Could that have been my problem? <laughs> I think so. I think so. <sighs> We can only Google Emmy submission. Um, no, the Emmy nominations uh, uh, happened today. Emmy for Simone. Emmy that's for Simone. New web series coming up. <laughs> it really is. Honestly, no one's ever done anything like that before, and that's what I think is so great about that idea. Um, <laughs> I'm just doing my work as usual and recovering from Pokemon Go Fest, which was this past weekend, and it was absolutely incredible. I got a shiny Tangela. Yes, I'm still playing oh, Pokemon nice. Go. Oh, I'm glad that you are. What was that like with social distancing? How did that work? Totally fine. I actually, it was very different from like previous community days where I've gone out pre-pandemic and like run into groups of people. I actually did not run into anyone else who was playing, um, but people definitely were because they kept knocking me out of gyms, man. 
Um, and completing the many, many goals that Niantic set up for people to accomplish, like sending one million gifts um, between all of the users, not just one right. person. Um, me. <laughs> that, that I would sense. never <laughs> send one million gifts in Pokemon Go. Um, but yeah, it was it was totally fine. And I, I, I go out walking quite often, so it wasn't necessarily abnormal for me to do that and play Pokemon Go intensely the entire time. So yeah, it was, it was really nice. It was a lovely day. That's awesome. Can I have a bonus minute before we start Please. the show? Stop the show? Yeah. We're starting the like, show. I feel, like, I feel like we have to we have to at least note that Christina has spent fifteen hundred dollars on a 14. very classy fourteen hundred dollars on a very classy ride for her ass. And <laughs> oh, I yeah. am looking forward to an extensive review of this chair. I thought I thought I was boss because I have a six hundred dollar chair, but Christina, Christina, she she outshone me. And I can't wait to I can't wait to hear about this. Now yeah. hang on, Christina Warren. Did you also order the laptop as well as buying yourself a fifteen hundred dollar gamer chair? I haven't ordered the laptop yet because now there's the rumor that we might be getting an iMac upgrade like in the next week and I'm oh, I'm debating. My God. Right. So so I can hold off on the laptop. I have like, you know, I, I can wait a couple weeks on that. That's not a big deal. Um, the chair, which was supposed to already be here, is not because apparently they sold too many of them. And so I won't get it until uh, August 10th. But uh, that's a good thing because there were some people who ordered the day it came out and they won't get it until September 10th. So if that were the case, I'd be really mad. And and for for listeners who don't follow my uh, like ridiculousness on Twitter, Herman Miller and Logitech uh, G did a collab where they basically uh, have a various like like gaming furniture, which sounds absurd, is absurd, uh, but I'm also here for it. And uh, Herman Miller, uh, they make the, the famous like Aeron chair and, and other like very good like ergonomic like desk chairs. And they make one called the Embody. And I've wanted it since like 2008, 2009. Like I've wanted this chair for more than a decade, but it's like $1,500. And so I I was like, I don't, I'm not going to spend that much money on a chair, which is dumb because I spend a lot of time on my ass. And so, <laughs> uh, I, I ordered the, the Herman Miller by Logitech, uh, G embody gaming chair. Uh, the only real difference as far as I can tell is that there's slightly more padding for said ass and it's more breathable. Um, I also like the, the back color a little bit more. Also, crucially, there's like a six to eight week back order. If you get the, the Herman Miller chair directly from Herman Miller, Whereas this one I was supposed to already have, obviously it's been delayed, but the, the delay will still be less than it would be if I got the the regular mm-hmm. one. So that's that's the backstory on that. But yeah, you, both of you need to feel free to completely drag me for the end of time for no, what I'm buying. I, I think I, I'm giving you a little attitude, but I think it's, it's uh, look, you, you don't complain about spending a decent amount of money on a bet, right? Because you spent so much time there. And I think for really good office equipment, I, I think it's a, it's a worthwhile investment. And this is something, I mean, there's nothing you're going to use more while you're away. No. So no, I mean, that's, the, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, like, especially I'm, I'm now a that... a million times more on board than this, than the the MacBook. So. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, honestly, like, yeah. I mean, in the chair that I'm in now, like, it's... It's a terrible, terrible chair. Like it looks good, but it's like leather, and it's kind of like a. It, it's you know it has no sort of high back. It, it there's no support whatsoever. It's kind of like a, a you know like a director style. I've had it since I was in college. 
it's, oh it's not God. a good chair. Yeah, it's what a bad chair. What is wrong with you? Now I am shaming you. Well, you should, but like... Uh, you moved across the country, Christina. I know, twice. And I've kept this damn chair. Um, the wh- chair I've had, I got on the road, side of the road in Mississippi in 1998. No! And that has been my chair for a long time, and it's more duct tape than fake leather from, oh my God. at this point. And I love that chair. I, yeah. I, I know how bad this chair is. In fact, one of my, my my former bosses, Tim, we made fun of his chair so badly that we went to Office Depot and bought him a gamer chair and, like, wrote on it and decorated it for him and whatnot. And it was so funny because the first couple of weeks of, of pandemic with working from home, like, he had to go back into the office and, like, get his gaming chair to bring yeah. back home, um, which, you know, made all of us, like, feel great. But, yeah, no, I, I think because I've worked in an office for the most part – well, I, I didn't always, but, like, for the last – I guess since 2011, I've gone into an office um, a lot of the time. And so I've had some sort of chair there, and I've just – neglected my back, which is stupid. And I realized I was like, my back hurts. Like my whole being is bad. And, and, uh, so he was, well, I can't wait to hear your official review of that chair when it does arrive sometime in August. And, uh, while we're here, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Um, uh, I should probably change my handles to Christina buys things, but I'm not going to. Not, <laughs> not <yet. Good. laughs> also, uh, uh, for those of you who missed us saying where we are online last week, I bet there are none of you. I did forget to do it, though. <laughs> Brianna, where can we find you online? Uh, find me at Brianna Wu on the Twitter machine, uh, or you can email me at Brianna at hey.com. I hope that was actually last week. It could have been the week it before. It was last or week. it could have been time five no months meaning. before. Yeah, time is a circle. It could have been a year ago. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at YouTube.com slash Polygon and at Speedrun on Quibi. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I appreciate all of you and those of you who have reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate the most. (laughs) Oh, don't you want to join that club? Yes, you do. Listen, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 (laughs)